0: welcome back to crazy faith talk i'm steve
1: i'm sarah and i'm erica well welcome back we are in the midst of a brand new series this is episode two of our summer self-care playlist so what are the media whether music movies books tv that you are consuming this summer to take care of yourself. And so today, Erica, you are going to tell us what is on your summer self-care playlist.
2: So my summer self-care playlist, I, I have to laugh because last episode, we we're—you know, Sarah, you were talking about your romantic comedies. And I said, I don't care for romantic comedies. And then I realized that my summer self-care playlist is romantic comedies. <laughs> But, but a different more,
1: type of romantic comedies, right? Very, so like, yeah. Not so, the same thing what I'm doing.
2: No, mine is an emphasis more on the comedy side of the romantic comedies. So some of my go-to things that I like to watch when I just need to unwind, um, when I take a Sunday afternoon nap after preaching, whatever, You know, I, I throw something on TV. So then if I wake up in the middle of it, I can just pop right back in are two to my favorites there's a lot of shows like this i do um, one is the princess diary movies um, just because i've watched them a billion times and so i can pick up at any point or i can do stuff while watching them in the background and then um in the process of packing and unpacking i've been watching re-watching gilmore's girls for i don't know a third or fourth time i didn't watch it um when it was on i actually came to like this show many, many years later when it was on Netflix. Um, but again, it's one of those things like I can walk away from it and do things and then come back and be like, oh yeah, okay, this is where we're at in the storyline. Um, so I'm all about stuff that I have seen a million times and I can just pick up kind of where it left off. So those are the current ones I'm kind of watching now. I have some other shows that I would like to binge watch on Netflix um for the same reason so i'm i'm all about something that's predictable because i have seen it a thousand times
1: (laughs) so did did you or have you ever read the princess diaries like the book series no i've never read the book series okay i haven't either so i was hoping that you could tell us how they compare
2: (laughs) no no in fact i don't think it's probably after several watchings of it that I realized it was a book series you know it's just one of those things I don't remember when it came out but somehow I ended up watching it one day I'm like oh this is funny uh but I mean it's got Ann Hathaway is it Anne Hathaway Anne Hathaway yeah, yeah. And, and Julia Andrews I mean like you don't get much better than that so um yeah and, and Chris was-
1: Pine is in the second one
2: yeah so Um, I don't know the second one quite as well, though I've seen it enough times so that, you know, again, I can walk away from it, come back and be like, okay, this is where we're at. This is what I missed. Um, So.
0: So can I ask for the sake of folks who may not already have watched uh, either of these, the number of times that you have, would you be willing to walk us through at least like plot summary what what's what's princess diaries all about i'm mean, like i have a vague notion because my kids went through face they're watching it but we never adults never get to actually pay attention to the story when a movie is playing in our house someone is you know washing dishes or feeding a dog or i mean there's always something else going on and there's a bunch of movies that we've only experienced the soundtrack of because they're watching it in the van and so we have no idea what they look like but ever overheard uh
1: I understanding this correctly, Steve, that you yourself have never sat down and watched this movie from start to
0: finish. That that is correct. I I will. I'm certain I've seen parts of the Princess Diaries, uh, and I am familiar with that. Julie Andrews is in it, and Anne Hathaway is in it. Uh, and if memory serves, the name of the fictional country she's the princess of is Genovia. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, yes. but like,
1: but this this is so exciting because usually <laughs> Steve is the one that's all like, oh, this movie's <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so great. Everybody's seen it. And then Erica and I are like, I've never seen or heard of this movie in my life. Yeah. This is so exciting.
2: So, Steve, you need to rectify this someday after the kids go to bed. You and Sarah need to sit down and just watch Princess Diaries.
0: Okay. Well, um, walk, walk me through. Tell me what I should be prepared for.
2: So, um, and now I'm blanking on um, Anne Hathaway's character's name. Mia. Mia, thank you. <laughs> I I've watched it too many times. i I'm blanking on stuff. So Mia is 16, 15, 16 years old, um, growing up in California, a single mom, and finds out that she is a princess of this foreign country that she's never heard of because her father was a was the prince, the heir to the throne. Um, and unfortunately he died. We don't know, at least in the movie, how. Um, but he dies, and her grandmother comes to visit her. This grandmother, she's never met, because uh, she's been the queen of Genobia, and it's getting time for Mia to take over the throne. And so they they go through. She's kind of like this awkward teenager, um, nerdy kind of girl, and they make her into this beautiful looking princess. And she has to go through princess lessons and things like that. It's a, it's a whole cute thing her and Julia Andrews just kind of going back and forth because um, Mia is so like not wanting to do this role and um, her grandmother is like but but we need you to like you are the heir to the throne and um, so there's a lot of back and forth between them um, Mia runs away at one point and says no I'm not going to do this and then uh, spoiler alert by the end of the movie she does accept the crown and um, is crowned princess of Genovia, and then takes over for the queen because the queen can't rule without a king by her side. So,
1: I I think one of the things that I really like about the first Princess Bride movie is that there is this theme woven into it of Mia finding her her voice. Yeah, uh, like early on in the movie, she's in a like English class and she needs to debate an issue. Um, and she is really panicked and stressed out because she's not a good public speaker. She stands up in class, sees everybody staring at her, and she runs out of the room and presumably throws up. up. Mm-hmm. And so, like that's a big thing for her throughout her princess lessons is I can't public speak. I don't have a voice. I don't yeah. like,
2: and she's, I, she gets lost in the crowd. Like people yeah. sit on her, literally sit on her, because she's invisible. Um, to them and so like there's the popular kids and everything you know every movie's got to have the popular kids in it um who who is the main i'm not main good with The
1: popular girl is mandy moore that's
2: it mandy moore yeah you know and mandy moore, moore's boyfriend breaks up with her so he can try to date me because now all of a sudden she's a princess and you know and then she me realizes like this is not the type of guy i want this you know um So, yeah, you're right, Sarah. It's all about finding her voice, finding out, realizing who she is, you know, as as a person, as the heir to the throne of Genovia um, and living into being a princess of a country, maybe not quite like the queen has or her father would have, but in her own way.
0: It sounds to me like the story, and and uh, this is surely not the only story that that explores this. But it sounds like part of how this this movie uh, and the book series presumably explores how our identity is both something that we generate and that to some degree, there are parts of our identity that are handed to us and mm-hmm. we can choose to step into or resist uh, and that there are things that make up who we are that are bigger than us or we stand in traditions that are bigger than ourselves, but also to some degree, we have to say, yes, I want to continue in this or no, I don't like, and that there's that tension there. Um, Cause say, unlike, uh, I don't know, like applying for a job or to a college, a princess kind of like, that. Yep, this, this is handed to you. This is your mm-hmm. family line. Uh, and that's a piece of who she is. But um, she also has to decide how she's going to princess and how she's going to bring uh her own individuality to it am i hearing that right you got it yep one of the things that i realize realized we've said from the beginning that our our summer self-care playlist didn't have to be waxing theological about things um but i guess i wonder whether you find any resonance re- resonances with uh your with our broad broadly speaking faith story uh as christians and this or if it's entirely just sort of brain candy and i watch it because it's mindless or if there are any points where you're like no like there, there, there's points where this resonates with uh my perspective as a as a church person or was Christian or something like that
2: so it's mostly mind candy um enough. but I can see kind of um you know in my own experience of self-discovery and who I am in in Jesus Christ um you know and how I've grown into the calling that God has placed on my life you know me kind of has that same experience of growing into a calling that she didn't choose necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and that honestly, she had no idea about until all of a sudden when she's a teenager, her grandmother shows up out of nowhere and says, Hey, guess mm-hmm. what? Um, you know, and, and just seeing her kind of grow into her calling her life situation. Um, I, I guess it's kind of, I wouldn't strongly place it, you know, as the same as, as growing in our relationship with Christ, but I can I can see parallels between the two.
0: Okay. Yeah. Like I could imagine it would be interesting to to have a conversation with people after having seen the movie or read the books and to use it as a way of talking about like the interplay between God's initiative and our response in grace, you know, and Mm -hmm. we've talked before in this podcast about, um, the, the classical theological category of prevenient grace that before we've done a thing, God's already reaching out to us and saying, here, I claim you, I choose you, I love you, that kind of thing. And yet also that calls forth a response. Will we step into that? Will we live into that? That kind of thing. Um, and that different branches of the Christian family tree, you know, land in different places where they're more comfortable on either emphasizing, oh, you know, it's all about God, it's who takes initiative, or no, it's all about us who take the response or whatever. But that to some degree that both have to have some interplay, just like in the in the movie. Mm-hmm. You, you wouldn't have a story about a random person deciding on their own they want to be princess. You've got it someone's got to tell you you are royalty. And on the other hand, if they tell you royalty but you walk away from it, that you can't you can't take the throne there either somehow both of those have to be together somehow. Yeah i i was curious too if you'd be willing to to share a little bit more about um the tv series that you mentioned too and if you would be willing to give like a what what's what's the the overview or the the elevator speech on gilmore girls not just plot but uh because i i gather Mm -hmm. that that's not not especially because a tv series isn't so much about the plot as much as it is the interplay of characters over a longer Mm -hmm. arc how would you introduce people to gilmore girls
2: so Gilmore Girls is about a mother and daughter, um, Lorelai and Rory Gilmore. Technically they're both named Lorelai, but Rory goes by that nickname. Um, who it's it's their interactions and their relationship between one another, their interactions with Lorelai's parents, um, Rory's grandparents who play Good guys and bad guys throughout the series, depending on what's going on in the relationship. And then the small town that they live in, stars Hollow, and their interaction with um all the folks there. Um, there's Luke, who owns a diner, and he's he eventually becomes a lo- love interest of Loralize. Um, but it's just it's the interplay of this. She she starts it like an early teenage girl, like freshman, sophomore, something like that, and works through her college years and just her relationship growing up with a single mom a father who's for the most part out of the picture he pops in every once in a while um but just basically what it was like for a daughter of a very strongly independent single mother businesswoman um growing up in the 90s okay
1: and and if I'm remembering correctly, Lorelei, the mother had Rory when she herself was a teenager. That's right. Yes. Right. They have a yeah, very Lorelei, short age gap between
2: them. They're 16 years between them. Lorelai had Rory when she was 16. And so hence kind of why the father's basically out of the picture, because they didn't they decide not to get married, uh, because they were 16. And so, you know, Christopher and they come from um a well-to-do, aristocratic kind of family,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and yet when Lorelai moves away to raise Rory on her own, they very much live a middle-class life mm-hmm. um, with connections to, you know, the money and, and resources to go to private school, to go to um, an Ivy League college, and things like that. But you know, for the most part, Lorelai is trying to raised rory to be independent and not rely on on the money and the connections that she was raised with
0: Mm -hmm.
2: so and it all takes place up in new england so it's you know you're around that kind of not to say all new englanders are aristocratic and snooty but you know it's that's kind of the setting
0: are there a lot of people who wear scarves a lot in this show
2: um I mean, my
0: it's, it's, is... just picture this being the weather where it's somehow always autumn. Or, <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, okay. there, yeah, there's a fair amount of scarves.
0: But... <laughs> oh, it's a scarf show. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> One of those shows the scarves. Gotcha.
2: Lots of hats. Yeah. hats. yeah. Well,
0: it sounds like if it was in the '90s, there would have been a lot of decorative hats. Sure.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so it, let me ask. Um, the there's there's clearly a difference you know you'd mentioned that there's a difference between the the genre of the romantic comedy movies like whether the kind that Sarah you were highlighting last time or even Princess Diaries as a movie is one narrative arc and the plot is basically you know the will she (laughs) ascend the throne or in a romantic comedy you sort of know the plot is going to be will they or won't they get together or more likely they're going to get together but let's watch it unfold um but my guess is a TV series is not only plotted differently, but it's less built entirely on the, the tension of uh, will somebody get romantically connected? Cause this is about a mother and daughter first. There's, there's love to be sure that, but it's parental yeah. love. It's it's family love first. And then secondarily, there's other relationships in their lives. Um, how, how does that, how is that different for you? How does that push different buttons or, or uh, uh, how's that, how's that connect with you differently than say, the The plotting of, of a romantic comedy movie that you said and eh, the, the movies I'm, I'm not a big fan they can be kind of schmaltzy, but how is it how does this feel different?
2: This is more just there's a little bit more or the comedic side to it at times I mean it, there is some drama there is some very serious moments um, throughout the series um, Rory dates a couple different guys on and off throughout the series. Um, but it just, I don't know, it feels for something from the 90s, like some a little bit more authentic than most
0: okay.
2: TV shows. Mm-hmm. Like I could see like, I could see this playing out in somebody's life.
0: Sure.
2: Um, I mean, obviously there's the, you know, the written in comedy and, and the sure. chaos of the crazy town and stuff like that. But like Stars Hall, the town they live in is a little small town. Everybody knows each other. You can yeah. walk everywhere. Yeah, And having grown up in little small towns where I couldn't quite walk everywhere, but, you know, rumors Mm -hmm. get around, things like that. Um, It's one of the more, in in some ways, for me, an authentic type of TV show versus like some crazy, you know, some of the things out there that look realistic and seem like how I met your mother and, and things like that. I mean, those are also realistic, but. I don't know. For some reason, I connect with Laura, and Rory.
0: Well, and like like an example, how I met your mother does some. Genre bending, kind of like you know, it'll flash forward and backward in time, mm-hmm. and there will be some things that are pretty meta. Whereas it sounds like Gilmore Girls is pretty straightforward. This is a TV show about these people and their lives, mm-hmm. and there's not so much a gimmick, you know. You know, uh, yeah, plenty of sitcoms are built on the crazy gimmick. If it turns out the daughter's a robot, or it turns out Alf the, the alien is there, or you know, but like mm-hmm. no, this is just human people living in a human town doing things. And there's it's not a, it's not like a three camera sitcom, right? So it's not there's no laugh yeah. track. I mean, so like that that changes it as well that you're not interrupted with the sounds of artificial laughter the way uh it was popular for a long time to do in sitcoms Mm -hmm. too it it, i guess i wonder and i i will confess again i am familiar with the existence of gilmore girls but don't think i've ever watched an episode of it before um but it it sounds kind of like reminds me of a northern exposure either of you have familiarity with northern exposure that was on um i and it was probably a late 80s show um and was set in this small town in uh like alaska and the doctor from the big city comes and set, sets up his practice and it's a chance to sort of meet all the you know quirky people of this small town mm-hmm. and fish out of water and i mean but like it's the interplay of these interesting characters in this town and there were times where characters had romantic entanglements but it was not primarily a, rom- a romance, exactly. So I mean, like, sounds yeah. like there's some similarities, but this sounds like it, it, the the core of this is the relationship between Lorelai and Rory.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Hence it the is, title, it.
0: Gilmore Girls, and not <laughs> people in Stars Hollow. Fair enough.
2: <laughs> and um, just you know, the back and forth that happens between teenagers and and their parents, and sure. and all that kind of stuff. It I don't know, maybe I didn't grow up that way. You know i didn't grow up in aristocratic new england um i didn't have the same type of relationship with my parents i had both parents so that there's a difference there yeah Uh, but it's just i guess from the people watching side of me and um the side of me that's interested in psychology and stuff that's probably what draws me in with this one
0: I'm curious, and I want I want to bounce this question off of both of you, if you're, if you're willing, because it sounds like both of you have named, and I, I share this with my, my own favorite go-to media, that there are some things that are comforting for us, and that no longer have surprise for us, that we don't know how it's going to go, because we've seen this story, whether it's a movie or rereading a book mm-hmm. or whatever, over and over and over again, Um and, and yet that's not everything. There's some things that I feel like i watched it once I never need to see that again, or it was interesting yep. enough for me to watch it again. I, I guess I'm, I'm curious about what what do you think uh, stands out about the things that that you go back to over and over and over again, or uh, what's what's the difference going on in your in your head or in your gut. Uh, for something that you watch one time and feel like that was enough versus something you watch and you go, I would watch this over and over and over again. How, how, how do you decide what, what's going to stick with you or what, what's, what's going on that that we find comfort in that?
1: So I'm more likely to reread a book than I am to rewatch a movie.
0: Okay,
1: But generally I feel like by the time I'm done consuming the media once I can usually tell if it's going to be something I want to go back to, mm-hmm. you know, like there's usually it's because it felt really comfortable to me.
0: Okay, Like
1: yeah. Yeah. something about it just felt really comfortable. And so it's like, Oh yes, I know I'm going to want to reread this or rewatch this to get that comfortable feeling back. Mhm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I couldn't pinpoint it, but I think you gave me words to pinpoint it. It's that comfort. Uh, when I was growing up, I used to have, like, after, when I was going through confirmation classes, I'd go to church with my grandparents, go home with them, spend the afternoon with them. We'd have dinner. I'd go back to the church for class. And we got into the habit of watching Little Women um, with the Winona, Wy- the Winona Ryder version um, every week to the point like i have not watched that in a couple of years now and i can still tell you by just listening to it what scenes coming up and what what sentences come you know what mm-hmm. lines are coming up mm-hmm. next i've watched it so many times
0: yeah
2: and it, it's just that sense of comfort like okay I, I go back to that occasionally now as a reminder of my grandparents who have both gone on to be with jesus
0: mm. so there's times when what what uh brings us back is the the memories we associate with a particular mm-hmm. piece of media sometimes it's not even what that the movie itself is so much as the memory of it i makes me think of the people i share this with yeah uh and then sometimes it is the story or the movie itself uh I, it, it's curious because as you mentioned this i mean sometimes I, and i get that idea of feeling comfortable with something you've seen before and sometimes the things that give us comfort from the familiarity are soothing media by themselves you know like a romantic comedy is not going to be terribly controversial not going to you know raise anybody's standard mm-hmm. uh and like for me uh over the years of my life like the cl- for me classic the movie the princess bride is in that category of man yeah. i could watch it mm-hmm. anytime. and even though i could probably recite the movie almost entirely from memory would be happy to watch it anytime anybody wants to but also on my list is b for vendetta the very violent dystopia about <laughs> uh an authoritarian english regime brought down by a vigilante who dresses like Guy Fawkes uh, and was directed or produced by the Wachowskis who did the, the Matrix films. I mean, like, it's very, very different um, and is about uh, political unrest and bringing down a, mm-hmm. a government by blowing up buildings. Uh, and and yet I could watch that almost any time, any day as well, and probably could quote um, at least as much of that from memory as uh, I could The Princess Bride. And that's not comforting exactly. So I don't, I don't know what it is that maybe it's just the sheer repetition.
2: I can do that with Hunger Games.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: You know, like, and, and it's the same. It's you know those total opposites, just like you said, Steve. You know, something that's very mundane and predictable and happy and friendly and, and sweet, and then you've got dystopia. Yeah. And for some reason, I I can't explain it. Um, dystopia is is something I'm really yeah
0: yeah, yeah.
2: try to wrap my head around. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it, again, it's that. I think for me, a lot of times it's like trying to figure out how. How do people allow things like this to happen? Yeah, and I know yeah. like Hunger Games or for Vendetta* aren't real, right? But sometimes when you look out in society, you're like, "Well, I can see how this could happen." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> And not to bring us full circle to an earlier round of pop culture series, but man, when we had the episode where we were talking about that, um, the the book uh, Parable of the Sower and Parable of the mm-hmm. Talents, that uh, it, it, like it doesn't it doesn't get quite so cinematic, but you're sort of watching things crumble, and you're like, oh, this is how dystopias happen. But yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
0: One of the reasons I, I'm curious about this this question about how the familiar, even when it's not pleasant but is still familiar how it sometimes can be helpful for us to retrace those stories is uh, there's a piece of me that can't help but think about how for each of us as religious professionals in the christian community do this thing called the church year and you know mm-hmm. in different ways i mean there are folks who are keyed into exact texts every week with the lectionary and others who just reuse the broad seasons but like that's a plot line that that organized christianity retells every year and there are parts of it that are lovely and comfortable and parts that are terrifying um and some that are both at the same time and i guess i think all this conversation to me feels a little bit like in an odd way a good case for why we do that retelling every year that Mm -hmm. it's not it's not like um we should throw out uh, that, that structure because we've done it before, but there's something about us that needs that. Here's how our story goes and that it can be both comforting and uh, I don't know, somehow good for us edifying to be regrounded in a story, even if we already know how it goes. I know we've talked from time to time in different series on this podcast about um, when we, face stories or texts or parts of the church year that are literally the exact same every year and that sometimes it can feel like a challenge what am i supposed to say now um and yet there, there's a, and I don't know that I've ever quite thought about it this way, but like, um, you know, when you go to your favorite movie or TV show that you've seen a million times before, you don't go, well, I hope they added a new line this time. It's like, no, I want to be exactly the same. This is the, it's this yeah. and all of its power. I just need to let that story wash over me again. And I guess I wonder if there's things that each of us or, or the wider church might glean from that experience with media to, oh, yeah, maybe there's something valuable in just letting the story be told over and over again.
1: I think that's definitely true, that we we should sometimes resist the the idea of when we're preparing sermons for those Sundays where it's the same every year, that we don't have to think of something new to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I One of my favorite movies as a kid was The Lion King, and mm-hmm. I think I wore out our first VHS tape <laughs> of The Lion King. And then for like a DVD release, when I was a teenager, they re-released the lion king but they added a new song
0: Oh, like yeah.
1: suddenly zazu and mufasa had this song and i don't even remember what it was about because i remember just being so furious watching this and going <laughs> what is this song mm-hmm. it's not even good why mm-hmm. did they add this to <laughs> and so yeah i think that when we come across like easter easter 2 where it's always the same like about Thomas we don't have to necessarily think of something new to say
0: yeah
1: we still have to say something but it doesn't have to be something new
0: and that maybe we could take a cue instead of feeling like we have to resist against the the ancestors in faith who gave us the pattern of the church year or even the framers of electionary who gave us Every year, the Sunday after Easter is uh, Thomas. And instead of going, man, why would they do that to go? This story apparently has been so important and so powerful to our older brothers and sisters in the faith that Mm -hmm. other people thought this is one that's worth retelling in this exact form every year. What is it about this story? And just letting, yeah, maybe this story by itself has the power, has something in it that all I got to do is just get out of the way of the story.
2: (laughs) And I'm one, I, I love predictability. I love order you know, I, I don't, I don't like chaos. I don't like change. Um, says the itinerant minister it's moving. <laughs> it's moving. Um, but I think even people that do thrive on, th- on that kind of environment still need to have something that they can come back to that's not going to change
0: mm-hmm.
2: or at least not going to change drastically
0: mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. time. Yeah.
2: And, and so, um, yeah there i think there is a lot of comfort to be found in in things like the lectionary or re-watching re-reading re-listening to our favorite media um because it it, for me it grounds me again you know life might be going off the wall you know with moving or with you know parishioners having health crises or something and I can come back and I can pop in Princess Diary. You know, I can turn on <laughs> Disney Plus and watch Princess Diaries or Netflix and watch Gilmore Girls and be like, ah, something yeah. I know. Yeah. Something that I can just blank out watching yeah. Cuddle with the Dog and, and just be fine and comfortable again when the world is falling apart and changing around me.
0: All this conversation reminds me of a poem of William Stafford's called The Way It Is. And the opening goes something like there's a thread you follow. It goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. And it sort of imagines like mm-hmm. you sort of wandering through your whole life, holding on to this thread. And even though other terrible things happen in life, and there's a line where those tragedies happen. People get old and die uh, and you never let go of the thread is the last line. And like I, I find something really helpful about that image about how do we navigate a world where sometimes everything else feels like it's in chaos Mm -hmm. well okay we we need something that is our thread to hold on to and it's it allows us to move forward and to face all those other things but it's that constant thing that you hold on to and okay i've got my bearings in some ways the stories we come back to are a part of that. Sometimes they are so important, we call them sacred. And it's the, it's the, the returning story mm-hmm. of our faith that you know sometimes is played out over time in the church year or is uh, your go-to favorite Bible stories or Bible verses. And sometimes it's that brain candy of, here's the movie I always put in when I'm not feeling well or I need to unwind or something like that. But it, it accomplishes a similar thing. It scratches a similar itch, I guess.
2: I mean, I couldn't imagine you know, say when I retire someday, or even when I was a lay person before I became a pastor, going to worship on Christmas Eve or on Easter Sunday morning, and not hearing Luke two, or one of the, you know, accounts of the resurrection, like, I couldn't imagine going to worship and not hearing those things on those particular days. And I, I've never grown up that I can recall under a lectionary preacher, but like, that has been a consistency in my almost 39 years of being alive. Easter and Christmas, you always hear these same stories. And if I went to a church where those weren't at least read, you know, they might be read with something else. But like, if they weren't at least read, I'd be like, what's going on? Like, why Why is this happening? This, it's Easter Sunday. Why are we reading something from Paul? <laughs> you know, why are we reading out of the Old Testament? This is the Resurrection Day. Um, yeah, I, I just, I would probably walk out <laughs> and find somewhere else to worship.
0: Are there other things that you want us to know about these go-to pieces of your uh, summer self-care playlist, Erica?
2: Um, I don't think so. I mean like I said, I, I'm one for repetitiveness. So like right now, Princess Diaries and Gilmore Girls um, is my repetitive playlist that might, I might go back to other shows that I've watched a thousand times. Um, you know, when I get sick of Gilmore Girls or when I, when I finish up the, the entire show, <laughs> I'm like, okay, now it's time to find something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, especially in, in the midst of what's been going on in my personal life with the move and everything um which is exciting and sad and and all these things all at once it's nice to just have something that's been consistent in the midst of everything else especially as somebody who like i said i i don't like change and god laughed when i said that he made me an itinerant minister (laughs) um, yeah it's just stability
0: and with shows that are grounded on Relations between characters, watching an episode can almost be—it's not like the tension of who, what will happen in this episode so much as let me check in on my friends, Lorelai and and Rory, see what's going on. Like it it almost can become like a a relationship or a friendship that you are watching from a distance, but it's almost like they're Uh real people when the when the show is grounded somewhat in realism of this is something that could really happen as opposed to something that's fanciful or meta or something like that
2: they are friends I can take with me. Yeah. even Center to Winburn. Yeah. Or wherever else, you know, I might get called to. So. And
0: Unless you talk about when shows get rebooted, and I know that Gilmore Girls had like a one-year reboot thing as well at some point, but like you basically mm-hmm. get to see characters in one season of their lives, forever how long that show runs. You don't have to watch them age quite the same, you know, as, as watching other you know people in your life age or have mm-hmm. the relationship change there too. So there's something that's comforting too about even for all the different things that might happen over all the episodes, they're still basically the same people, and ah, that's comforting to have people who are consistent.
2: Oh, and it's, it's fun to watch a show like that because it is from, like, the 90s, early 2000s, I think. Like, so I didn't watch it originally. Yeah. And some of the, like, the cell phones that they use <laughs> and the fact that they call them cell phones and not my cell
0: yeah.
2: or my phone. Um, you know, just some of that kind of stuff. Just, like, okay, yeah, I remember those days. Yeah. You know, and it's just a little bit of nostalgia. Sure.
1: They frequently go to the movie store to rent a movie. And yeah. it's a, you know...
0: VHS yep. the tape mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's the little things that just makes you go oh the 90s yeah. <laughs> those were fun
0: yeah cool thank you for sharing Erica these go-to parts of your self-care uh playlist these days in this summer and uh thanks for everybody who's listening we'll uh join you to invite you to join us next time for another round of conversation here on Crazy Faith Talk
2: see y'all bye Uh-oh. is yeah.